We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, welcome back. I hate losing parts of America, and today we lost a big part with the passing of Loretta Lynn. The New York Times obituary had the headline right. Quote, Loretta Lynn, country music star and symbol of rural resilience, dies at 90. Close quote. Rural resilience. It made me think a little about something a reporter asked me about yesterday. He wanted a quote on why Arizona seems always in the crosshairs of the East Coast establishment in places like the New York Times. And I knew exactly what he meant. When when I told non-conservative friends of mine in Washington, D.C. around 2010 that I was moving back to Phoenix, I got that that moral squint an awful lot. The looks of sympathy, the lacrimose questions of, why would I go back to Arizona? It's the same series of looks and verbiage I got from my liberal professors when I told them in college I was going to stay in Claremont for graduate school to study with Harry Jaffa and Charles Kessler. They don't get it. They don't get the beauty of understanding America's founding as its founders understood it, which also means they don't get the beauty of America. If something is rotten from its core, it's rotten. If something is beautiful from its core, it's beautiful. And the same thing was true about middle America with the East Coast establishment as it was about Arizona in the 2010s and 11s and 12s and et sec, as they say in the law. They think these areas are backwaters. They think America's core is rotten. Today they might use different language like systemically racist or born in slavery with a legacy of slavery and discrimination. And thus, they also think everything based on freedom and independence and reliable standards of right and wrong, or any standards of right and wrong for that matter, are throwbacks. Fine in the backwaters, or what they might refer to as Hicksville, but not serious, not worthy of serious study, unsophisticated, not contemplatable, and certainly not beautiful. You get this with the attack on the cowboy that keeps coming back. You get this in the dismissals of country music which only became more popular in the cultural elite world of entertainment once it left its twang and its lyrics about hard life, alcohol, abuses of different kinds, the economy, broken relationships, broken families, church, prayer, and yes, of course, America. From Loretta Lynn and Johnny Cash to Waylon Jennings and Merle Haggard and Brooks and Dunn and so many in between, there must be nearly a thousand country chart-topping songs about America, never mind with America in the title. I mean, can you upset the folks in Manhattan or Los Angeles or the enlightened professorate more than with lyrics like this? We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. We don't take our trips on LSD. We don't burn our draft cards down on Main Street because we like living right and being free. We don't make a party out of loving, but we like holding hands and pitching woo. We don't let our hair grow long and shaggy like the hippies out in San Francisco. No, Merle Haggard would never be invited for a lecture at a college or university, but the elites dismiss this culture at their own peril. 
which is why Pauline Kael of the New York Times could famously say in 1972, I have no idea how Richard Nixon got elected. I don't know anyone who voted for him. There's a lot of people not to know. Nixon won 49 states that year. Oki from Muskogee still played today was huge leading up to the Nixon reelection. And they missed it with Ronald Reagan, too, as they missed it with Donald Trump. We are just too quaint and unimportant and backward, or at least not advanced. What with our planes with an eye and our horses and families and churches and prayer and dysfunction. And yes, America. There it is, perhaps, that you can have dysfunction and yet still know it is not the defining characteristic of your world, but rather something to deal with, as all life brings things to deal with. But it doesn't spoil all life or the whole country. Country music listeners understand, as few others, the difference between wheat and tares, patience, struggle, hard times, and yet a good country still worthy of a great deal of pride and patriotism. As for those of us who were not surprised by Trump's victory in 2016 or Reagan's in 1980, as Pauline Kael represented with Nixon in 1972, we were listening to, in 2015 and 2016, as Donald Trump was speaking to, an America with far different concerns from Hollywood's and the mainstays of the elite culture. I remember we did a Republican candidate event once in 2016. Well, we did several here in the station in 2016, but I remember one particular one where a local reporter was there and wrote it up that the theater stunk of fried food and beer. But there are a lot of Americans who like nachos and chicken fingers and beer, perhaps even if their theaters don't smell of it. We think of our culture and our culture of politics in the context of the central truths that also explained the popularity of country music. Without the glitz and style of the postmodern era, country, though less now, still sings about the bedrock values and verities and hardships of life. Patriotism, faith, family, poverty, love, breakups, divorce, addiction. And all of this, still again in a country its singers and lyrics continue to love and profess their love for. Oh, and they do it with comprehensible lyrics. We wrote about some of this in our book, American Greatness, Buskirk and I did. Country music also got and gets to a part of America wholly uninterested in what the musicians and East and West Coasts find important in clothing or travel or bling or causes. An oldie but goodie that helps explain this divergence, this differential, this disconnect from, say, The View or MSNBC or CNN is Loretta Lynn's song, One's on the Way written by Shel Silverstein, of all people. They say to have her hair done, Liz flies all the way to France. That's Liz Taylor. And Jackie's seen in a discotheque doing a brand new dance. That would be Jackie Onassis. And the White House social season should be glittering and gay. But here in Topeka, the rain is a-fallin', the faucets a-drippin', and the kids are a-ballin'. One of them a-toddlin' and one a-crawlin', and one's on the way. She goes on. He goes on. I'm glad Raquel Welch just signed a million-dollar pact, and Debbie's out in Vegas working up a brand-new act. That'd be Debbie Reynolds. While the TV's showing newlyweds, a real fun game to play. Here in Topeka, the screen doors are banging, the coffee's boiling over, and the wash needs a hanging. One wants a cookie, and one wants a changing, and one's on the way. It may seem peculiar that a billionaire like Donald Trump understood and spoke to the people of Topeka, all the while denouncing such things as political correctness. 
It may seem particular. Uh, excuse me. It may seem particular that a millionaire Hollywood actor understood and spoke to all this 36 years prior. But at the end of the day, there have been other wealthy people who understood what here in Topeka meant and could talk to them because they knew them, too. It had been said of Ronald Reagan that he learned as much from his travels for General Electric, meeting with the factory and line employees across the country, as he did anywhere or from anything else. It's also important to remember that, at first, many of the conservative intellectuals disdained Reagan as well, even supporting his primary opponents in 1979 and 1980 before coming around to supporting him. Reagan was not known for harsh language, as Trump is or was, but he was seen as the anti-intellectual. But like Trump, his work with actual hourly employees gave him a different view of America and Americans than the Doles or Bushes or Romneys or McCain's had. It also gave them the ability to go over the media and directly to the people in their simpler language. The elites missed it at almost every turn with Ronald Reagan until he proved victorious in 1980, and they missed it too with Donald Trump. But who got these candidates and who these candidates got is what mattered in the end. The American people, and the American people that Loretta Lynn and Whalen and Merle and all of them sang for and to. That America is forgotten by many, but consider how cultural history is written. You may think about a given year like 1968 or 1969 as years of protests and riots and hippies and drugs and Woodstock and all that. That's why history teaches, that's what history teaches America was. But there was another and much larger America. An America in that time where the top-rated television shows were shows like Hee Haw and Gunsmoke and Bonanza and Gomer Pyle, USMC and Mayberry, RFD and the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour. And again, of course, the election of Richard Nixon. Nixon understand it. Uh, Nixon understood it. Perhaps growing up in a rustic lemon orchard and running a gas station or spending time in the rust deserts of Arizona gave him that sense and sensibility. He got it when he spoke to the nation at the GOP convention in 1968 as well. And it's interesting to me that someone like Nixon, who was so important a part of American history, is one of about five people I can think of without whom the second part of the 20th century would have been very, very different. He was always very concerned himself about history. Once in the Oval Office, he asked William Sapphire, his speechwriter, how history would judge his tenure. This was before Watergate. Sapphire said, competent. Nixon said, not good enough. He was always, Nixon was, thinking about history, even as he shaped it so much from kicking off the anti-communist ethic in America with Whitaker Chambers and Alger Hiss to the Eisenhower years to the 1960 election and Vietnam and Watergate and China and special prosecutors and OSHA and the EPA and Roe versus Wade and affirmative action. It's hard to think of anyone who loomed, loomed larger in the latter part of the 20th century with all that. He gave us all that. Some good, some, of course, bad. But he was a player in history who worried about history and culture and how history would record culture. In 1968, he gave voice to this forgotten but prominent America by saying, quote, as we look at America, we see cities enveloped in smoke and flame. We hear sirens in the night. We see Americans dying on distant battlefields abroad. We see Americans hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other at home. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish. Did we come all this way for this? Did American boys die in Normandy and Korea and in Valley Forge for this? He went on 
Listen to the answer to those questions. It's another voice. It's the quiet voice and the tumult and the shouting. It's the voice of the great majority of Americans, the forgotten Americans, the non-shouters, the non-demonstrators. They are not racists or sick. They are not guilty of the crime that plagues the land. They are black and they are white. They're native-born and foreign-born. They're young and they're old. They work in America's factories. They run America's businesses. They serve in government. They provide most of the soldiers who died to keep us free. They give drive to the spirit of America. They give lift to the American dream. They give steel to the backbone of America. They are good people. They are decent people. They work and they save and they pay their taxes and they care, close quote. A year later in office, he gave voice to this again and against the counterculture. This was known in his, as his silent majority speech. I know that may not be fashionable, he said, to speak of patriotism or national destiny these days, but I feel it is appropriate to do so on this occasion. 200 years ago, this nation was weak and poor, but even then, America was the hope of millions in the world. Today, we have become the strongest and richest nation in the world, and the wheel of destiny has turned so that any hope the world has for the survival of peace and freedom will be determined by whether the American people have the moral stamina and the courage to meet the challenge of free world leadership. He went on, let historians not record that when America was the most perilous for a nation in the world, we passed on the other side of the road and allowed the last hopes for peace and freedom of millions of people to be suffocated by the forces of totalitarianism. Close quote. This was the silent majority speech. There's always been a battle between what is and what the progressives and progressive historians paint what is. It's a bit like the slavery issue. Yes, we had slavery. Yes, it was awful. But it doesn't or shouldn't define us. It was in the minority part of this country. More states were in the Union than the Confederacy. More people lived in the Union than the Confederacy. More people fought for the Union than the Confederacy. There were fewer people who had and supported slavery than there were who had slaves and did support it. And the Union, of course, beat the Confederacy. You might call that a silent majority as well. But the historians paint something different, don't they? They paint the aberrations and scars as the defining thing, not what is actually the larger story of the majority as defining. Just as they paint the culture here in 1968 and 1969 as against what really was moving and motivating people. Loretta Lynn spoke to a great part of that the coal miner's daughter. It is for shame that so many forget or dismiss just who it is and what it is that matters most here and to most people whose values and country they were there to uphold and defend. It is for shame not only because they keep getting this country wrong, but because for many of them they still cannot and may never be able to see it. Anyway, thank you, Loretta Lynn. Thank you for standing for and singing to the verities, the durables, and what matters most and to most. Job well done. Now rest in peace. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Bill, let's put that in there for permanent. I like that. Martina McBride's version of the Shel Silverstein Loretta Lynn song. And also... Can we go out with Muskogee, Oki from Muskogee, and add that, too? Thank you, Bill. Are you worried about stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? What if you can invest in a portfolio with a strong fixed rate of return, no correlation to the stock market? If you're looking for a remarkable and unique investment opportunity like that, I want you to check out my friends and show sponsors, 
Why refi? They're offering a great investment, all in a secure, collateralized portfolio with a up to ten and a quarter percent return for investors. And your investment, by the way, can be in a trust, IRA, just as much as it can be a joint investment or an individual investment. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's made up of really great guys, I know them well, who do really well by doing good for others. And you can be a part of that. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y R E F Y dot com. Or give them a call at 855 316 3087. 855 316 3087. Local company, you can visit them. Never a sales pitch. I was. Um, Thinking on that speech of Richard Nixon's in 1968 to the convention when he was talking about the other America, many of you know, I've talked on this before, where he says we are not sick people. We are not a sick country. You know why he said that? He said that because that is what the editorials across the country kept saying in 1968. We are a sick nation. I believe it started with an L.A. Times editorial that year. And... It seems the left and the progressives, that's part and parcel of us always trying to be on the eve of destruction. This is what took place during COVID on, uh, on, 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 on hyperspeed. Uh, the, convic- the conviction that things are terrible around here, that things always suck. You know, a Republican can't be a conservative. He has to be a fascist or a white supremacist. Um, the virus is going to kill all of us. We're going to have a winter of of a, a dark, cold winter of grim death. Everything is always, we're always sick. We're going to make each other sicker. And, of course, the, the, the country, if not the planet, faces an existential threat, either because of constitutional evisceration or, as Greta Thunberg would put it, ecosystems disappearing before our very eyes. We are not a sick country, Nixon had to remind us. There are people that think that. Don't let them win. It's the Canadian novelist who said, beware the dampers and cynics. Roberts and Davies, beware the dampers and cynics. Yeah, beware the dampers and cynics. We like lightning just fine around here. And we like this country and our fellow countrymen just fine around here, too. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's an honor and privilege to welcome to the show Tom Homan. Many of you has, uh, have seen his work on television and elsewhere. He's the former acting director of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement and is a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. It is a delight to welcome you back to the airwaves of Phoenix, sir. Thank you for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, you know, you're one of these kinds of experts, uh, Director Homan, that we don't call when there's good news. Um, <laughs> and, man, there is not good news. Uh, the report yesterday is that uh, there's a getaway crisis or a gotaway crisis at our southwestern border, uh, particularly here uh, in Arizona, where uh, Bill Malugan is reporting something close to 600,000 getaways in just fiscal year 2022. Talk to us about what this means, sir. Yeah, 600,000, just under us, 599 something. Yep. Uh, and we had 400,000 last year. So, look, we, we've already had a 1 million people since Joe Biden took the White House. 1 million uh, aliens have crossed the border, weren't arrested, got away. That's that's scary because these people are turning themselves over to the border to claim asylum. There's a reason. 
they don't want to turn themselves into Border Patrol. They know they don't qualify or they have a criminal record. Bottom line. Or they're, or they're drug smuggling uh, fentanyl and other drugs. Or they're known suspected terrorists. This is this this should concern a lot of people because you look at the past year, Border Patrol's arrested people from 161 different countries. Some of these countries are sponsors of terrorists. That's right. So if you don't think a single one, that one million gotaways, came from a country that sponsors terrorism and came to this country to do us harm and now are in the United States, then you're ignoring the data. This is a serious serious national security issue. Yeah, I, I w- I'd love to remind the audience that I had a guest on yesterday, you may or may not know, um, in D.C., Terry Jeffrey, and he was talking about uh, something like 78 persons on the terrorist watch list were apprehended at the border just this year, uh, compared to, I think, zero uh, on your watch, by the way. But, you know, you think about the 78 we know of, you're right, what about the ones we don't know of? And damn it, sorry, to use the French word, sir, but we know what 19 can do, right? Right, and, and the actual number is 83. I don't know. Oh my gosh! Talking. Okay, all right, it's actually, worse. The actual number is 83. Okay, and, and you know, look, terrorists don't want to be arrested. They're trained how to evade law how to evade law enforcement. So, the, I've been doing this for 35 years. I started in, in the border patrol in 1983, and I'm telling you, I've never been more concerned about the safety and security of this country I am right now. And look, Arizona's leading the charge. You know, everybody thinks Texas is getting overrun, and they are. But the most gotaways, the highest number of gotaways by far yeah. is the Tucson, Arizona sector. That's right. and, and these are and people say, well, how do you count gotaways? Well, they're, they're, they're captured on uh, drone traffic, uh, sensor traffic, uh, camera traffic. These are, these are recorded. Now, that's a million gotaways that we know about. But what we haven't talked about is the unknown gotaways. That's right. Because a lot of parts of that border doesn't have a camera, a sensor, a drone. So we don't know how many other got away that that are unknown. I have to tell you, I have been, uh, sir, to the border a few times now, and uh, not nearly as much as you have. And um, and and one of the things I am finding is that you know, border patrol they they want to do their job, but there is a level of um, there's a feeling, there's an attitude that they just don't have the support. There's a reticence, if you will. Um, there's almost a Ferguson effect applied to the border. I, not exactly and directly proportional, but something like that is taking place where they don't think D.C.'s got their back and they don't think D.C. wants them doing very much. Well, they're exactly right. Look, I've talked to hundreds of border places. I've been on the border 14 times in the last year. There it is. Arizona and uh, Texas, and I, like I say, I wore that uniform. So a lot of these guys, first, a lot of these guys know me, and they see me, they come up and talk to me, and um, and, I, and I try, I try to tell them what I can to, you know, keep them engaged. But they have been abandoned. Yeah. They've been abandoned by the command. They've been abandoned by the commander in chief, so called uh, uh, President Biden. They've been abandoned by the second, uh, the, 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 the 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 vice president, who's supposed to be a border czar. That's right. Then, then by the secretary of homeland security. Look. Yeah. The president of the United States never been down there. His first speech as president is about how the last administration would watch children starve to death right. on the banks of Rio Grande and never did anything about it. Right. He's talking about the 20,000 men and women in the border patrol had over 8,000 saves last year. And as far as the secretary, they lost faith in the secretary. To this day, he's on TV saying the border is secure. Yeah. And these agents are in social security, busting their butts 24-7. And their bosses on national TV saying it's secure. Yeah. So they've lost respect in the president. They've lost respect in the secretary. Why? Because they abandoned them. It's a hell of a point. This was a short segment, sir. We have a slightly longer one coming right up. Let me take a quick commercial break and come back to you on that. 
Uh, you are a real hero to this audience, sir, and to this country. And, uh, boy, uh, your voice needs to be heard more and widely. Tom Homan is our guest. He's a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation and the former acting director of U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delight to have Tom Homan with us. He is the former acting director of U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. He's a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, heritage.org. Uh, director Homan, this, this, this point you were making about you can believe the administration in D.C. or your own two eyes or any of the border officials down there telling you what they see day in, and day out. You can go down and see it for yourself, as I have done on a few occasions. It's almost so it's it's almost like this, sir. Uh, while the secretary of Homeland Security, the vice president, the president keep de- declining to say there's a problem, keep saying there is no problem. It's almost as if the mayor of Chicago were to be giving speeches that the police in Chicago are hearing saying we have no crime problem. Violent crime isn't a problem in Chicago. Violent crime isn't a problem in Philadelphia. It's about the same issue. And you could only imagine what police would think if their mayors were saying that. Well, the guys you're respecting in, in the mayor and yep. secretary, you know, when, when look, they failed. They failed and they ought to just admit they failed and, and, and work to regain not only control the city's crime level, but look, you know, what, ha- what happens in Chicago has a lot to do with illegal immigration. Cook County, Chicago, one of the biggest jails in the country, ICE used to be in there. Mm-hmm. For every every person who's illegally in the United States and got arrested in Cook County, Chicago, for a crime, as soon as they were done serving their sentence, ICE picked them up and deported them so they couldn't reoffend in the community. Now, it's a sanctuary city. The same with New York. Look, it, it, it's, 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 not a, it's not unusual for Chicago, New York, Seattle uh, to have some of the highest crime rates we've ever seen because they're sanctuary cities. Yeah. So, so is Lori Lightfoot doing everything she can to tap down the crime in Chicago? No, yeah. because she releases illegal alien criminals to the streets every day. And recidivism rates are as high as 75% within the first three years. That's right. And they're going to, they're going to recommit an offense. In the very community in which they live, the immigrant community. So you know, these politicians say, well, I'm protecting the immigrant community. We don't work for vice. No. When you release a criminal alien back in the community, he's going to reoffend in the immigrant community. MS-13 attacks almost all migrants. Right. And so you're not protecting the immigrant community. You put them at greater risk of crime. And if, you, and if Lori Whitefoot had the backbone to go to the immigrant community and have a town hall meeting and ask them one question, would you rather have ICE operating in my jail or in your neighborhood? They're going to stay in the jail. Of course. Because most of these migrant communities, are, other than being here illegally, most of them are law-abiding after they get here. They don't want pedophiles in their neighborhood. They don't want somebody who's been arrested five times a DUI in their neighborhood. They don't want criminals either. So it's, it's a false story being told by the left, and they're being called on it now. So, you know, again, you know, this administration, they want to fix it. All they got to do is dust off the Trump doctrine, the thing that we worked on for uh, three years. We had the most secure border in this country. Dust the plan off. You know what? I don't like this administration. I have no respect on them. But they call me tomorrow and ask me to come back and reimplement the policy we have in place in Trump. I do it for, for the good of the country. Of course. But they don't want to secure this border. This isn't mismanagement. This isn't incompetence. 
this is by design. Yeah, this is deliberate. And 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 what animates this point, uh, Mr. Homan, Director Homan? What is the point? Are they playing a long run game for partisan affiliation? Are they trying to recruit new members of their party? Is it misplaced compassion? Is it a, a refusal to admit failure? Is it Trump derangement syndrome? If he did it, it can't be good. What explains this uh, this attitude? Do you think? You just did. And every one of those are Every factors. one of those, you know. Look, I, I think the biggest factor is, look, the person is, is their ideology. Yeah. You know, they want the John Lennon song to come true, and we're, we're all going to share it and everything we have, and we're going to open our doors to the whole world. This country can't afford to take care of the whole world. But the biggest issue they're doing, because when when President Biden signed over 90 executive orders, abolishing everything we did under the Trump administration, he also overturned the, the, the Trump census rule, which means now these millions of illegal aliens should be counted in the next census. And what does that mean? That means more seats in the House for the Democrats. They perceive our future political benefit and, and uh, control of Congress from this. And, and they think they're going to become you know, voters for the Democrat Party. I'm not so sure about that, but they don't have to vote. Right. They just got to be counted in the census, and more seats will be given to the Democrats in the House, which, which again, they sold the security of this nation out for political power, which, is, which in, my, in my opinion, is almost treasonous when you're willing to open our borders up, because I don't care what, and this is the most important point I can make, I don't care what your opinion is on illegal immigration. When you cause a crisis of this magnitude that pulls up to 70% of agents off the line to change diapers, make household runs, make food, transport them to the airports, 70% off the line, that's when the drugs come across. That's when the terrorists come across. That's when the gang members come across because the border patrol is overwhelmed. Only 30 percent of the workforce is on the line. They're going to get away. This immigration crisis, regardless of what your opinion is, illegal immigration has caused a huge national security crisis, a huge public safety crisis, a huge public health crisis. And if you accept that, then I don't want to tell you. Because this, this immigration uh, uh, crisis we're having right now is opening this country up to a lot of danger. Nothing to do with immigration. Tom Homan, thank you for that. Uh, you know, I think this was, in some respects, I'd love your opinion on it. In some respects, I think some of the brilliance of Governors uh, DeSantis and Abbott, if you will, uh, because they exposed to people that didn't want to admit there was a problem, they put the problem in their front yard. I mean, if you think about it, uh, the people of Martha's Vineyard, they have a border. Their border is all the states between themselves and Texas and Arizona. Uh, They didn't have to see it. They don't have to deal with it. They don't have to absorb the problems. They don't have to expend resources to deal with the flood. So he brought the flood to them. And, boy, it showed you their true colors pretty quickly. When they had to confront it face-to-face, they weren't sanctuary cities so so much anymore, were they? No, you know, and and they got to understand that. They can say they're not a border state. They want nothing to do with the border. Yep. Every state's a border state yep. because the fentanyl, yep. the fentanyl are killing Americans in all 50 states. Yep. I mean, Arizona's had some major, major seizures. Yep. And I can tell you for a fact, you can see in intelligence reports, we're catching a fraction of it. So we got over 100,000 Americans that die from drug overdose because the borders open. Another result of this huge immigration crisis. And look, I, I, first of all, I want to give President Trump kudos. He was the first one. They come up with the idea of, of busing migrants to sanctuary cities. Oh, good. And we were working on that plan when I was there. But you know what? We didn't have to do it because within a couple of months after we got our, our plan uh, implemented on the southern border, we couldn't fill a bus up. Yeah. 
because because with Title 42 to remain in Mexico, we weren't having the surge like that. We had illegal immigration at a 40-year low. Exactly. So even though we thought about sending them, by the time we got the plan rolled around, we didn't need them. Yeah. So look, and you're right, these governors are smart. They called out their hypocrisy, and they made a national conversation yep. right before the election. Yep. So, you know, the, we, got, we got Democrat mayors and Democrat governors talk about illegal immigration. Yep. Good. It's yep. about time. Yep. And if they want the buses to stop, pick up the phone, call the White House, and tell Joe Biden to do his job. I can't say it better than that, sir. I, I, I don't want to leave on that. I, I don't want to leave you, but I don't want to <laughs> step on that applause line. Tom Homan, visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, former acting director of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Bless you, sir, and Godspeed. And thank you for all you do. Thank you. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson. As we go to break, I'll put in a word for our sponsor, Balance of Nature. Take it every single day. Best product I've ever taken been taking it for years it's kept me well for years boost your health your immunity your energy with pure potent plant power 100 percent pure third party tested nothing but fruits and veggies a blend of 16 whole fruits 15 whole vegetables using their unique cold press process to maintain the phytonutrients in those you take it once a day and you are good to go i'm seth liebson we'll be right back Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Um, I didn't have time during the break to get all the data I wanted from the various states. But just so you know, when you hear the Democrats say that we're overstating the problem of illegal immigration, understand it's a problem in and of itself. It's illegal ab initio. This is an illegal act people are engaging in. Beyond that, yes, there are a lot of crimes committed. Yes, there is a lot of social destruction that comes. Yes, there is a lot of social and humane expenditures we need to take from our state budgets and from charitable organizations. And those are monies that could otherwise go to other causes or perhaps, I don't know, say citizens and veterans. But when you hear criticisms of Republican candidates in Arizona who talk about the crime illegals bring and come with, yeah, of course it's not everyone. Of course. But it's not anything close to zero either, and it's a lot. The Department of Corrections here in Arizona has a handy monthly report called uh, Corrections uh, at a Glance, and it tells you who's incarcerated in Arizona and for what and whether they are citizens or not. There are 355 people in our prisons in Arizona for murder who are illegal aliens. 355. Think about that. There are 529 for trafficking in drugs, 258 for child molestation, 300, let's see, 531 for rape and sexual assault, 315 for other sex offenses. And that's just, as I say, on the criminal side of who we've arrested and caught. We either got to plead guilty or had to convict in court. Those are not small numbers. That's not a little. That's a lot. And if you're one of those families that were the victims or had a friend who was a victim of one of those murders or sex offenses or rapes or you had a child or a son who was given illegal fentanyl because of what they brought here, the numbers are irrelevant. It mattered to that one. It matters to all of us. It matters to this one. 
should matter to this country. I'm Seth Liebson. Hugh Hallman coming right up.